Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. Hello everyone and welcome back and thank you for joining us again. Now, some of us are aware of the fact that some cultures believe in evil spirits and strange practices. Kara Greenfield is going to share what the Penang people believe and how that affects their everyday lives. It is scary to hear what the Penang people believe about those evil spirits and how their lives revolves around them. Here is Kara's story of her personal experience with the Penang people's spiritual beliefs. My name is Kara Greenfield and I've served on the Penang Project in Cambodia. Today, I'm going to tell you um, a little bit about the Penang and their culture. One of the things that the Penang believe in is animism, which means that they worship the nature spirits. And there are many spirits that they live in fear of every day that they must appease in order to live a happy and successful life. The story I'm going to tell you now is a story that took place when we first moved up to Mandalkiri. And it was our first day of, my first day of language learning in the Penang language. So I didn't understand a lot of what was happening around me. So a lot of the story is observations of what I saw and what happened and what I understood from what Brayden Pewitt told me because he was also there at the time too. When we were learning Khmer, Daniel and I drove into Phnom Penh with our notebooks and whiteboard ready for notes. We set up outside one of the mission workers' porches, and our teacher taught us Khmer words. My first day of Penang language learning was much different. At 6.30 Monday morning, Braden Pewitt let me know that he was going out to the village to bring a village elder named Kurawe to the hospital. I asked if I could go with him. I thought it would be a good to see how patients were admitted at the local hospital. When we arrived at Kurawe's hut, many people were gathered around, including the village elders. Kurwe had been vomiting blood and having bloody stools all night. He was very weak and had to be lifted into the truck. As we drove, his wife sat beside him and his teenage daughter, Niang, sitting in the truck bed, peered in through the back window. At the hospital, the admission process was slow. They put Kurwe on a metal cart and wheeled him into a room. No one appeared to be in any hurry. Often the Penang are not treated well at hospitals. Brayden helped as a woman questioned the family about Kurwe. One of the hospital staff drew Kurwe's blood to see what type it was. He would likely need a blood transfusion. Brayden turned to me. Would you go to the market with Niang? She is very scared and would like you to go with her. They need some soap to clean Kurwe's clothes. Sure, I said. As Niang and I walked out of the hospital, she reached over and clasped my hand in hers. Holding hands is an endearing thing that close friends sometimes do here. I had barely met Niang, so it felt a bit awkward, but I was happy to be able to comfort her. We found the necessary things and headed back to the hospital. After a hospital worker told Brayden Crowe's blood type, Brayden began making phone calls to see if he could find someone to give blood. There wasn't much more I could do, so I headed home. Later that day, the doctors diagnosed Crowe with liver cirrhosis. At home, I kept in contact with Brayden while working on a language learning plan. We didn't have a teacher or curriculum at that time. Around four that evening, I decided to go back to the hospital to see Kroe's family again. A man had just finished giving blood, and Brayden asked me to stay with Kroe's family while he took the man home. I told him I could stay until 5 p.m., and I sat down with the family. 
Arthur away, laid with his eyes closed. After a while, more family arrived. When a young man walked in and started talking to Crowey, he opened his eyes and replied, He's still well enough to talk, I thought. That's a good sign. When five o'clock came and Brayden still was not back, I told the family I needed to go home and assured them Brayden would be back soon. As I rode home on my motorcycle, I had a distinct impression that Crowey was not going to make it. I don't know what you are doing, Lord, I prayed, but I'm glad you are in control of the situation and can see with the things I can't. I continued home with peace in my heart. Only about an hour later, we received a text message from Brayden saying Crowey had died. Brayden had ordered some food from a local restaurant for the family, but it had taken much longer to make than he had anticipated. The family wanted to take the body back to the village for burial. Brayden decided to spend the night in the village with the family. Since it was dark already, I decided to go out to the village in the morning. It had been a long day. I wasn't even sure if I had learned any language. What is God doing through all this, I wondered. Will the family want me to come to the funeral? As I went to bed, I prayed that God would protect the family. The next morning, Brayden met me at the top of the hill before the village. Last night was awful, he said. Crowe's family stayed up wailing and randomly screaming to scare away the jacks, or evil spirits. The body is deteriorating quickly, and there is a lot of blood. The family is sure a jack is eating him from the inside out. Things seemed very quiet as we descended the hill into the village. Many people were gathered outside Crowe's hut. Everyone is scared to go near the body because the jack they think is inside him, Brayden told him. We went inside the house and I sat down beside Crowe's body, which was on a raised sleeping platform. Pambroke, Crowe's widow, sat across from me. The body was on a plastic mat and covered by a blanket and Crowe's other possessions. Small sticks stuck up around the mat and strings were tied between them over his body. The strings were to keep the sorcerers from coming to the body. We had thought the funeral would be early in the morning, but the family decided to put it off. Crowe's son, Locru, was attending school in another province and was trying to get home for the funeral in the early afternoon. It would be another long day. Some men killed a large pig and caught the blood from its neck in a metal bowl. They took the bowl inside the hut and the oldest village elder instructed Pumrok how to put the blood on her husband's chest. Other men began building a coffin with boards from the house. The coffin was nearly finished an hour later. Niang returned from the market with some of the necessary things for the funeral, and Pamrok motioned for me to help her spray the body with some perfume. The strong scent filled the hut as I sprayed. Just before noon, the men placed Crowe's body and possessions in the coffin. Pieces of food were placed near his mouth, and rice wine was poured over his mouth. Then the lid was placed on top. Pamrok began to wail. Oh, husband, if you had only listened and not drunk so much wine, now you have left us. She continued to wail stories about Crowe's life. Occasionally, she would hit the coffin violently. Crowe's children sat near the coffin, showing little emotion. The youngest was only six years old. Some of the family tried to comfort Pembroke. After 15 minutes, the wailing stopped as quickly as it had begun. The burial grounds were quite a long walk from the village, so the family asked Brayden if they could use his truck to transport the coffin. Are they going to bury him before Locru gets here? I asked Brayden. I guess, Brayden replied. Daniel and Johanna came in our truck with the kids, and we all drove out to the burial ground. The burial ground is a scary place for the Penang, and they never go there alone. I noticed that the group that came to the site was much smaller than the gathering at the hut. 
There were no children present. Braden later told me that only close family go to the burial site, and they don't bring the children for fear of the spirits. Everyone spoke in quiet voices. The young men took turns helping dig the grave. Johanna took the opportunity to talk with Pamro about Chief God and how he is stronger than the spirits. I sat next to Nian. Naha, she said, pointing to a leaf. Naha, I repeated. Then she pointed to the piece of grass I was fiddling with. Ja, she said. Ja, I repeated again. The time quickly passed as others pointed to different things and told me the words. By now, Daniel and Johanna had left to take the kids home to eat. The grave was finally finished. The elders opened the coffin and looked over the contents inside. Pambrok cut Croe's sandals and clothes with a knife. Nothing was left in good condition. Then Pambrok got down inside the grave. Someone handed her a twig with leaves and a small lit candle. She began to sweep the twig over the walls and corners of the grave, holding the candle close. After she got out of the hole, the coffin was lowered and everyone together pushed her into the hole. May you have plenty to eat, they said. May you have plenty to drink. They made a mound over the grave and built a house-like structure on it. A mosquito net was hung inside to keep jacks from going in or coming out. A large stick was pounded into the ground near the rice wine jar, and a basket containing some meat was hanging on it. Then the slaughtered pig's jaw was hung on top of the stick. When all of this was completed, the people got incense and chanted more wishes before poking the incense into the ground around the grave. Pambrok put a bowl of food at the head of the grave and poured some orange soda out into the dirt while chanting. She lit a cigarette and placed it near the food. Then the people ate the meat that had been prepared. When we arrived back in the village, many people were still gathered around the hut. Lokru arrived on a motorcycle and went into the hut wailing. Most of the family had cried all they could, so he was left to mourn by himself. Some of the family gathered around him, but no one mourned with him. I felt bad for him. As I sat outside watching, the oldest village elder began instructing Pamro how to do the cleansing ceremonies for the village. <laughs> Two chickens were killed, and their blood was placed on the big toe and forehead of each person. It was six o'clock and starting to get dark. I said goodbye to Pamro and walked to my motorcycle. The day had been long and tiring. My brain felt exhausted from taking in all the new sights, culture, and language. Again, I wondered what part God was playing in all this. Many weeks have gone by now, and we are seeing glimpses of God's hand leading. Braden told us that after I left that evening, Lokru told his mother he did not want to be cleansed with the chicken blood. When Braden returned a week later, Pambrok happily reported, I haven't seen any jacks. Praise God for showing his power over the jacks. Braden has talked a lot about Chief God with another widow in the village, too. She says that she is not afraid of the jacks anymore. Her youngest daughter does not even know what a jack looks like because she has not seen one. Braden encouraged her to talk with Pamrok about Chief God and how she no longer has fear. The villagers are beginning to talk among themselves about Chief God and how he is more powerful than the jacks. Sometimes it is hard to know how God is working and what part he wants us to play. Despite the sadness that has come from this tragedy, I think the results will be to his honor and glory as more Penang learn that he is more powerful than the jacks. Yikes, what a story. It must be terrible to live in constant fear of evil spirits like the Penong people do. But we know the truth that God's power is greater than any evil spirits and that we have the assurance that with God 
We don't need to fear Satan and his angels, which only seeks to devour all human life like a roaring lion with his lies and deceptions, all in the effort to persuade us that God is evil and is not a loving God. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is the truth about God. Please pray for the missionaries, that when they share the truth about the love of God and expose the lies and deceptions of Satan, that the Penang people will be open and ready to receive the truth and finally be free from the fear of these evil spirits. Thank you for listening to Frontier Missions Journal. Wonderful for comprehension, like nothing.